Welcome to Blue Notes On Air. Join us as we chat with experts, analysts and commentators from the Asian region about business, culture and economics. We had a, a quirky team mascot which was a, a wombat and the wombat actually is faster than Usain Bolt over a short distance so <laughs> the wombat has speed and the ability to plough through large barriers. Today the Australian Bureau of Statistics, Jonathan Palmer, shares insights into the Australian Marriage Law Postal Survey and the use of agile methodologies. We hope you enjoy the discussion. Well, we've been using Agile Method for a number of our projects. We've got a large transformation program underway, so it's been making quite extensive use of Agile techniques. Um, but it's not its not how everything is done at the ABS. I've had a keen interest in the application of Agile Methods in the ABS, and when, when I took on the, the task force, it seemed to me to be a no-brainer that we ought to operate along an Agile methodology, if you like. I saw that as just key to, key to delivering on the extremely tight deadline of mm. 99 days in which to survey over 16 million people. So I think I think what what I saw as being a particularly good fit was the need to establish a, a very high tempo, you know, a rhythm that was fast enough for very quick delivery, a focus on minimum viable product, um, the need to deliver things in some cases incrementally, uh, the need to make rapid decisions um, so, so all of those things came together, and I, I you know, we we thought agile agile would work well, and it did. David mentioned the uh, twice daily stand-ups. Is it normal in a project to do twice daily, or would you normally stick to to one? To have that fast rhythm that was needed for the 99 days to deliver, uh, we decided to to have meetings twice a day. Now that's very unusual, and even daily stand-up meetings would be unusual for most of our projects, I think. So. Um, the idea was to, in the morning, talk about what had been achieved overnight um, and to discuss what we plan to achieve during the day and in the afternoon to talk about what we delivered during the day and then what we're going to do overnight. It was, a, in the first few weeks, it was a 24-7 operation and we needed those twice daily meetings really to, to drive that, that tempo and ensure that everything was moving um, in parallel, if you like, because there were a lot of concurrent streams going on. What I found interesting was the application of, of Agile to a, to a project that wasn't, strictly speaking, an IT project. So I've, I've had an interest over the last couple of years around the application of Agile to, to business projects that aren't necessarily IT related. Um, so this was, this was um, a good vehicle for trying out trying that approach. Obviously there are a lot of ceremonies and you know using the use of post-it notes those sorts of things that kind of go I guess hand in hand with Agile. Did you guys do you know retros and all those sorts of things as well those ceremonies or was it just more the stand-ups? Yeah no no we we kept it pretty simple so we had we had visual props we had the usual ceremonies we had a Kanban board which was really key um, and that started off being pretty crude <laughs> and got more sophisticated and larger and larger as it went on. We had hundreds and hundreds of post-it notes up there um, showing what was you know, in progress and what was in the backlog. Um, we also replicated that using um, the JIRA software so that remote participants could, could keep track of, of that, um, that progress. We had a lot of visuals around our, our room, so the room in which most of us met became an important vehicle for sharing information and communicating. So we had you know, um, design documents on the wall. We had our success criteria right above the Kanban board. We had a, uh, a constantly updated count of days to go. 
um, we we used all those all those visuals and the stand-ups to make sure everyone was on the same page and we could move things along as quickly as required. Did you find that um, the, the government mandate was heavily involved in how you set out your project or they just said, we need you to do this and you got free reign in how you got to that, um, I guess, end goal? You said you had your success factors. Um, was that sort of, uh, done together or was that more, they said, this is what we need and then you got to sort of build from there? Yeah, well, the, the government can direct the statistician to undertake a statistical collection, but the statistician then decides how that collection is undertaken. Now, there are a number of features um, in the government request that weren't really negotiable. They, they were very clear about the time frame uh, they wanted the results in, which, as I said, gave us 99 days. They were clear about the question they wanted us to ask the Australian people. Um, but beyond that, um, yeah, we had, a, we had a, a ton of latitude around how we actually executed on that, on that request. And the project team was given a lot of a lot of autonomy. I'd say um, a key a key feature or a key enabler of rapid progress was the very close engagement of the leadership team. So I, I was at every every stand up meeting, and the statistician often attended, and so did a number of members of the of the management committee that that met weekly. So we would um, we were there on the spot to to help with the decision making process. So when um, you know when we asked our standard questions, one of them was, uh, "Is there anything in your way? What needs to be, um, you know, what what needs to be decided now? What are the blockers?" Uh, we had senior managers really well engaged on the spot to help with that and, and come up with a rapid decision. So would you say um, within the ABS is quite a, f a flat structure? Or? There was a very flat structure for this um, for this task force. Uh, you know, we we basically had. Um, as I said, 15 concurrent streams. They, we had probably 30 odd stream leads. Some of the leads, some of the streams were led by a couple of people um, in collaboration, and they they really made the vast bulk of the decisions, with reference to a, a management committee and myself as the as the uh, senior responsible officer when when you know some of the bigger decisions had to be made. But it was, a, it was a flat structure. When you built the project team, did you take a few colleagues from over here, from over here, or was it sort of already a team that was together? No, we had to assemble the team from scratch. Fortunately, we have quite a few people on our um, 2021 census team who had had the right skills and experience to help us execute on the marriage survey. So they, they were easily assembled, given that 2021 is still a few years away. They couldn't argue that they couldn't... Um, be brought into this project for a while, and indeed they were keen to. You know, we didn't we didn't have to force anyone to join the team. People were very excited about it. So, uh, and then we supplemented that over the next few weeks with people from all around the organisation. We brought in some contractuals and some non-ongoings, and and we had some secondments into the task force from other agencies almost from day one. We had people from the Australian Electoral Commission. We had someone from um, Department of Finance. We had um, Attorney Generals involved. So we had. We had some really good support, excellent support from other agencies. People will be surprised just how many agencies were involved in this in this program, but uh, there are a lot of a lot of moving parts. And and you mentioned um, the the census. Obviously, the the last census that we had got a lot of media coverage. Was there anything in particular that you learnt from from that project that you took into this? As okay, you know, maybe we could 
could do this differently as we did in the census. Let's try to avoid this, that, the other. Yeah, look, there are a lot of lessons we took out of the 2016 census and I think they really helped us. We learned a lot about how to effectively manage risks and that was a key feature of how we conducted the um, marriage law postal survey. We learned a lot about how to communicate with the public and the the need to really place the customer at the centre of all our decision making to ensure that the process was as smooth and as easy as possible for for people who were going to participate in the survey. So yeah, we learned we learned a lot out of the 2016 census. Coming out of the the marriage law postal survey, is there any any insights that you've had from that that you think you'll then take into your next project, say the 2021 census? Well, one we've had a whole lot of the task force have gone back to the 2021 census and they've gone back with a burning desire to take the best features of how the marriage law survey worked and to replicate that in the census. So so that's great. Um, I, I have no doubts that the 2021 census will benefit from that experience. More broadly, we're, we're, really, we're really thinking about how widely we can apply this approach. But we're also cognizant of the fact that the marriage law survey had a, quite an unusual context. You know, um, the, the very short time frame that was non-negotiable, the 99 days, the, the, um, the public importance of the, of the mission, the sheer nature of the challenge um, really motivated and attracted people. And it's hard to, that, and indeed the, the um, unstinting cooperation of other agencies in the execution of it, those are all key elements of the context for the marriage law survey that aren't necessarily present in other projects where you may not have the same sense of urgency, the same clarity of it being a priority over everything else. So, so we're, we're still thinking about how do we create the right context for that sort of project as well as um, adopt that style of execution. I think one of the things that stood out for me was just how much people enjoyed working on the program. They worked, they worked extremely hard. It was, very, it was very demanding for people and at one point everyone was getting pretty frayed around the edges in terms of you know, the, the, the energy that they put into it. And we, we did a lot of work around the well-being of staff, checking that they're okay, giving people a spell, encouraging them to look after each other. They didn't need much encouragement on that front because they, they naturally helped each other. So I think like all large organisations, we recognise that there are a lot of people who found the topic um, personally confronting and difficult. So we, we did a lot of communication across the whole organisation about the employee support arrangements that we have in place, the counselling, we did engage our networks to to um, to assist them to help each other. Actually, within the task force, we we really did a great job of of putting that personal interest to one side. Everyone everyone that joined a, joined the task force actually signed a personal undertaking to to not to to behave in an extremely impartial and objective way, so that. Um, everyone could have complete confidence in the execution of the of the survey to very high standards of integrity. Um, so that was an added challenge for some people in the task force because while they might have had strong personal views, they really couldn't bring that to to, to the table. Room. That's right, and uh, and everyone I think honoured those undertakings extremely well, and I'm sure that did place some strain on people, um, but but they absolutely delivered on the commitments that they gave the team. And I think I think one thing that surprised people about the the daily scrums um, and stand-ups was the the good discussion. While, while there was a lot of tension, there was actually a lot of humour 
in the room and we, we encouraged that and people found it, I think, a really good release from the pressure. So um, we had a, a quirky team mascot, which was a, a wombat, and the wombat actually is faster than Usain Bolt over a short distance. So <laughs> the wombat has speed and the ability to plough through large barriers. So, so the wombat was embraced as a pretty good pretty good mascot, actually. And, um, and we had a few people that were pretty funny. They, they'd work puns into their status updates. So there was a, a lot of humour, and I think, I think that that created a bit of enjoyment for people in an otherwise very much high-pressure um, operation. So um, there was something beautiful about, about the, the, the project in, in, in that people really enjoyed it and they felt it was a privilege to work on it. So I, I think if we had another task force like that tomorrow, everyone that participated would immediately offer to join up, <laughs> you know, run away to join the circus again. So... There was something. There was something really, really very positive. Uh, how much people enjoyed their work, and I think that came out of that um, empowerment. It came out of the, the the clear value of what they were doing. It came out of um, the the need to perform at a high level in order to deliver quickly. So, so these are all things we've got to try and work out. You know, how can we how can we bring more of that to our everyday business, which is important and does need to be does need to be executed professionally and well. It was, it, was, it was a lot of fun and privilege. Thank you for listening to Blue Notes On Air. Blue Notes On Air was produced by the Blue Notes editorial team with music by Kevin McLeod.